Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. And what we're doing with this series is we're just walking through the seven statements that Jesus made about himself, that he said um, things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the bread of life. Um, and he made these statements And because he identifies who he is, it helps us identify who we are. Because we like to think we know who we are um, based on what our job is or our vocation or our marriage or our house or our car or whatever it is. A lot of times we identify ourselves in those ways. But our identity is so much bigger than that. And it really is locked into who Jesus is. So if we don't have a good understanding of who Jesus is, we really don't have a good understanding of who we are. And so what I want us to do during the next few weeks is, is really unpack this and look at who Jesus is so that we understand who we are in him. And I want to encourage you too, we're getting to a season where we're busier with graduations and weddings and uh, the weather's nice, so we're going on vacation and getting out and doing things. But I just want to encourage you, over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be finishing this series up. And these are some of the most important messages that we're going to be communicating uh, since I've been here. That, and I want you to hear these. I want you to be a part of them. Next week is Mother's Day weekend. And, and my wife, Kim, is going to be preaching all weekend long. She doesn't think it's fair because it's Mother's Day weekend, but I'm making her work. <laughs> I get, I'm off and she has to work. So, um, But I'm telling you, I'm excited about the message she's going to bring. We were talking about it this week, and it's going to be powerful. So don't miss it. And then in just a few weeks, the weekend before, before Memorial Day, we're going to have a worship experience. We're going to do some things in there that you've probably never seen done before, and it's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to be life-giving for people in this place, and, uh, and I don't want you to miss that. So please make sure you're here over the next few weeks uh, as we continue unpacking the series, I Am. The series uh, today, we're going to be looking at a passage from John chapter 10, um, but the story really begins back in John chapter nine, and we're gonna finish the message today, but part two of this message is gonna be finished next week because these passages for this week and next week really do go together. Uh, But when we look at John chapter nine, uh, Jesus was just going about his business, and he sees a man, and scripture tells us he was blind since birth. And if you want more details about the story, read John chapter nine this week, go back and read it. Uh, But I'm gonna give you the short version. So Jesus um, goes to the man, and he heals him, but he, it's, it's an unconventional healing. Um, he spits in the dirt. He makes a mud pie out of his spit and dirt. And then scripture tells us that he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Now, that doesn't feel like anointing to me. Um, I, it still grosses me out when I see a mom go to her child and go, come here, you got something on your face. Let me get that for you. And they like, oh, oh, oh. Like, I just got chills thinking about it. Like, oh, that just grosses me out. There's no reason my mom's spit should be on my face, like, ever. It just shouldn't happen. But yet, we do stuff like that. So if I was standing there with a blind man, if he was my buddy, and Jesus was spitting in the dirt, and he was getting ready to pack in his eyes, I'd be like, no, 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 he's better off. He's fine. He doesn't need the sight. He just doesn't need your spit mud pies in his eye, right? Like, that's just gross. This is what Jesus did. So he makes these mud pies. He packs it in this guy's eyes. And then he says, go down to the Siloam pool, the pool of Siloam, and, and wash in the pool. So he goes and he washes in the pool and he's healed. So he comes back and scripture tells us that some of the people didn't recognize him. Some of the people said, hey, isn't that the beggar? And some of them said, no, 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 that's not him. It can't be. Because all they had ever known was that he was this 
blind beggar. Now he's changed, he's different. So they took him before the Pharisees and the Pharisees were not happy because number one, they weren't crazy about Jesus, they didn't like him very much. In fact, they had made this proclamation that if anyone, any Jew, uh, said Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah, they would be cast out of the synagogue. So they'd be kicked out of the church if anyone in the church said that Jesus was the Christ. So they had taken a very firm stance on who Jesus was already, but then to top it off, it was the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the Sabbath, uh, Jewish people, they, they take a really hard stance about the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to carry a mat. You're, you're just supposed to sit and that's it. You know, you can eat, but you're not supposed to prepare food. It should already be prepared. So they were very legalistic when it came to the Sabbath. So when they heard that Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath, they were, they were, they were fired up. And so they asked the man, tell us what happened. And he explained the situation. He explained what happened. And they didn't believe him. They thought he was lying about being blind. And so they said, bring this man's mom and dad to us. We don't believe him. So the mom and dad come and they said, uh, was this man blind? Did Jesus heal him? Tell us what happened. And they already know what, what they had said about Jesus. They don't wanna get kicked out of the synagogue. So they go, uh, this is so diplomatic. They go, well, um, we know this is our son and we know he was blind, but we really don't have any comment about uh, how he was healed. Uh, your honor, you know, like that's kind of the way it was approached. It was like, I have no recollection of that, Senator. Um, and so they said, you can ask him if you'd like. And so they go back to him and they go, okay, what happened? He said, I already told you guys what happened. Why are you asking me again? And they basically asked the question that some of the Pharisees were divided. Some of them said, well, he has to be from God or he couldn't do these miracles. And then some of them said, well, no, he's not from God. He must be a demon. And so they basically asked the question, is this guy from the devil, is he a demon? And this man responds in John chapter nine and he says, basically, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And I love this because what an incredible testimony this is. See, some of us get hung up on our testimony and we go, well, I can't, I can't share my testimony because, because I'm not eloquent and I don't know the Bible and what if they ask questions and how am I gonna respond if, if they ask me about scripture and I don't know and I've never been to school for that stuff and I just have no, so I'm better off not sharing my story. But this man shares his story and he just makes it really clear. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't know the theology and the implications and I don't have any idea. I don't know if he's, a, the Christ or a, I don't have any idea, but this is what I know. I was blind and now I see. And some of you with your story, that's all you have to do is you just have to say, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't know all the theology. I don't know what all happened to me, but I will tell you this. I had this encounter with Jesus and before this encounter, I was a terrible husband. But now God has, God has healed my heart. And now, man, I love my kids. I love my wife. Our marriage is better than ever. I don't know how it happened, but, but God's done that. And our testimonies are that simple. So he shares his testimony with them. And the, the Pharisees, they don't like it. And religious people get upset about some of the rules and those kind of things. They're very rigid. And so they said, um, hey, you're just following Christ and you've made him your Messiah. And what do you know? You've been a sinner since birth. Get out of here. It's almost like, we know what we're talking about because we're spiritual, but you don't know what you're talking about, so get out. So they cast him out. So Jesus tracks him down, he finds him later, and he, he comes up to him and they start having this dialogue, this conversation. And there were some Pharisees nearby and they heard it, so they come over and they get involved in this conversation. And so when we get to Matthew, uh, John chapter 10, 
this is a continuation. This is their conversation. So he's having this conversation with a group of people that may or may not believe that he is the son of God. So some of them may be opposed to him. Some of them may be for him. But this is not the home crowd that he's talking to, okay? Um, and so he jumps right in to this, this story. He paints this word picture for his followers. But this is what it says in John chapter 10, verse 1. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, let me explain this to you. Um, in this day and age, there were, uh, there were not a lot of farmers in this area. In fact, the soil was not good for farming. It was rocky, uh, so it was more suited for uh, herds. It was more suited for sheep specifically. And so there were a lot of sheep herders, a lot of shepherds in that area. And what they would do is they would build a big communal sheepfold in town. So if there was a village and there were um, six or seven shepherds in the village, they would big, build one big sheepfold and they'd put all their sheep in that fold, in that pen. And the pens were built, uh, they'd basically build them, try to build them adjacent to buildings uh, so maybe a couple of buildings, and they would use the outer walls of those buildings as walls for the pen, and then they would construct uh, out of stone the other walls. And there was always one gate or one entrance into and out of that pen. And usually at the top of the stone walls, they'd put thistles and thorns and things like that to deter people from crawling over the walls because they didn't want people to do that. And so Jesus makes this very clear here. Well, again, let's go back to the scripture. He says, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief or robber. So what is he saying? He's saying, if somebody's trying to get into the sheepfold and they're not coming in through the door, they don't belong there. They've got the wrong motivation and the wrong heart. They're there to steal some sheep. They're there to profit from the sheep. Their heart is not for the sheep. He's talking about motivation here. He's basically comparing himself to the Pharisees. And next week, Kim will get into this a little bit, but he's comparing these, the Pharisees as bad shepherds. I mean, they're not just bad shepherds. He's calling them thieves and robbers to himself. And this was, this was big because a thief and a robber, they're showing up simply to get what they can so they can profit from it. And he's saying, this is the condition of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they love to keep the law. They love to project their own righteousness and what they were doing and how they were maintaining the law. And so... When they, would, when they would strictly enforce the law and the people around them, there was a lot of selfish motivation because it made them feel good because they're going, hey, look at all these sinners. These people can't even keep the law, but I keep the law better than anyone. And they're comparing themselves to other people and it's selfishly motivated. And so Jesus is saying, hey, these guys are robbers and thieves. Their motivation is wrong. Their heart is wrong. They appear to be spiritual leaders. They appear to be shepherds, but they are not shepherds. In fact, they're not even bad shepherds. They're thieves and robbers. That is who they are. That is their identity. If you go on to verse two, it says, Jesus continues and he says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Listen to this part. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, this is interesting because um, I grew up in Oklahoma and Texas, and in Oklahoma and Texas, there's a lot of cattle, and they brand cattle. 
You don't want cattle rustlers, right? It's a country coming out in me. So they would brand these cattle. They'd have thousands and thousands of head of cattle and they'd brand them all with their brand. Why? To identify. Well, you don't have to do that with sheep because sheep, after time, learn their shepherd's voice. So all these sheep from all these different herds would be gathered in this one sheepfold. And in the morning, the shepherd would come out. He would greet the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper stood by the gate. He kept watch over the sheep at night. He, he helped make sure none of the no robbers or thieves got in. So he guarded the gate, the one door. He waited there, made sure nobody got in. So in the morning, the shepherd would come out. They'd greet each other. The gatekeeper would open the gate. The shepherd would go into the sheepfold. And when he got into the sheepfold, he'd begin calling out for his sheep. He would call them even by name. And he would call for them and they would come. The reason they would do that is because they knew his voice. So he would take them from the sheepfold. They'd go out into the valleys. They'd go out into the different places. He'd bring them to food. He'd bring them to water. And at the end of the day, they'd come back. He'd put them up. The next day, they'd do it again. So they would go out, but they would follow him because they knew his voice. They recognized his voice. That's pretty incredible because sheep are not smart. Sheep are, are dumb animals. Now, don't be offended when I say this, but I think there's a reason Scripture calls us sheep because we are not very smart when it comes to lots of things, and we need help. So next week, Kim's gonna get into a little more um, the role of the shepherds in providing and helping and covering and all those kind of things. It's really incredible. You don't wanna miss that. So they would hear and learn their voice, the voice of the shepherd. And I just think that's so incredible. A few weeks ago, um, my family and I were at over at IUP for a softball game. And some of the softball girls are part of our church and we love them, we try to support them. So uh, we were over at this softball game and they were in between games. So before the second game had started, I was behind the stands and I was kicking a soccer ball with my daughter, Emma. And, and Friday is my Sabbath, it's my day off. And a lot of times on Fridays, I will wear a ball cap and glasses and I don't do it to hide, but uh, like, I just, I'm gonna be comfortable. So a lot of times I'm wearing shorts and Flip-flops sometimes, that's right. Your pastor wears flip-flops sometimes. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So, um, so I'm comfortable on my day off. It's my, it's my Sabbath, I'm relaxing. So we're out there, we're kicking this ball, and I'm dressed down, I'm just comfortable. And um, I'm talking to Emma, we're kicking this ball back and forth. And this lady's standing, I don't know, five or six, seven feet away from us. And she's, she's just watching what's going on in the field. And she comes over to me and she says, excuse me, are you the pastor of the summit? And that question always makes me uncomfortable. I don't know how to respond. Maybe, and I said, why? Did that jerk say something? I can't stand him. That pastor, right? I said, uh, maybe. And I said, no, yeah, I'm the pastor of the summit. And she said, she identified herself. She said, this is who I am. And I said, well, do you go to the summit? And she said, no, we've been a couple times. She said, you know, we live um, over in Ebensburg and it's hard for us to get over there regularly. So we've been a couple times where we watch and, you know, I listen sometimes. And she said, I didn't recognize you, but she said, I heard your voice and knew who you were. And I said, well, that's cool. So we just struck up this dialogue, this conversation, really sweet lady, and uh, she had her son with her. And anyway, so we talked, went about our business, but I thought that was so interesting. This lady didn't know who I was. She didn't recognize me, but she recognized my voice. The way she recognized my voice is she's heard it enough that, that she knows it now. And my girls know my voice. Um, they've been hearing it since before they were born. I, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I would talk to and sing to my wife's stomach, which is awkward at times, right? Like, I don't do that anymore. That'd be just really weird. 
<laughs> Sorry, I've got this mental image in my wife's face. I'm imagining my wife's face as I try to sing through her, her stomach. Anyway, so I'd sing to my kids when they were still in the womb. I would talk to them. I'd, you know, do all the things. And, and you know, when you're talking to babies, you don't just talk. And, hey, how you doing in that womb today? Is everything good? You covered? Is there anything you need? You know, you don't talk. You, you do, daddy can't wait to see you, right? You do the weird voices. You do all those things. But by the time they were born, they knew my voice because I'd talked to them so much. I'd spent so much time allowing them to hear my voice and they know my voice better than they might know their own now because they hear it so often. They hear it so much. And one of the questions I get regularly from people is, um, especially in our church, we have so many people that are new to their faith or coming back to their faith. And I love that. One of the questions I get regularly is, how do I know the voice of God? How do I hear the voice of God? How do I know it's God's voice and not my voice? How am I supposed to discern good choices when I'm not really sure? Because I know what I wanna do, but I'm struggling with that. So how do I know the voice of God? And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but there are probably a lot of people in this room that have those same kind of questions. How do we know? How do I know what it looks like and sounds like? And what does that need to be? If you look back in the book of Samuel even, they're one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history was a man named Samuel. And he heard the voice of God several times, calling to him by name, out loud. And he still didn't recognize it was the voice of God. He needed somebody to tell him, hey, that's God's voice you're hearing. So sometimes we need somebody to go, hey, what you're feeling, what you're sensing, that's God speaking to you. Oh, I had no idea, right? But this is something else I think you need to understand. If you don't take anything else away from this message, remember this, God's voice always reflects God's heart. God's voice always reflects God's heart. God is never gonna speak something to you that's contrary to what he said in scripture. It's not gonna happen. Um, this week, this last week, weather was nice, wasn't it? It was beautiful, the windows are down. And um, I'm taking my girls to eat a, a, a we're, we're on this health kick, so we're taking them to eat, and we go to Arby's. So we get to Arby's, we're, we're, we're pulling into Arby's, and um, windows are down, it's just me and the girls, and there's a car backing out of a parking spot, and we're pulling in, they're far away, not even close. I mean, not even close, I'm not whipping in, it's not like the Indy 500, he's not backing out fast, no problem at all. I mean, two cars could have gone between us. So he's backing out, but he just didn't see me. So when he did, he slammed on his brakes real hard and his car moved and you could hear him from his car. He, he was conveying to me that he did not feel like I was very intelligent. <laughs> and he described my lack of intelligence with an expletive, the big one. So he says, I was a blank idiot. And he says it loud. So, I mean, I don't get, I don't get fired up over that stuff. Like, I really don't. It's like, it's a word. Like, that, that's a finger. I'm gonna be offended by a finger, really? Like, come on. I'd be more offended with a toe, okay? <laughs> so why am I gonna get offended over that? So I wasn't offended. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't like fired up angry. Because um, I'm not a fighter, okay? But... Sometimes I struggle controlling my tongue. So I look at my girls and my girls, their eyes are big, like, oh my gosh. Because they're imagining, what if I said that to my dad? Like, I would cease to exist. I would just, poof. 
burst into flames, right? Like, so they're just like, oh my gosh. So I stopped immediately and I just poked my head out the window and I said, I'm sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> and I'm doing it to be funny, but I know he's probably not gonna laugh. So I said that, like, and I acted all innocent, like, I didn't hear. Were you trying to help me with something? Anyway, and so he, he backs off a little bit, and everything de-escalates, and it was fine. And um, then we had this long, awkward pause because I was sitting in the line to get in the drive-thru, and he was trying to exit that way, so his car sat right next to mine with the windows open for, like, five minutes. So. But I'm really glad. I don't think he probably saw the Summit sticker on my car, so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Honestly, part of me thought he would come to church today. Like he would be in church and I'd be like, oh my gosh, okay, I gotta face this guy today, right? But this is the thing. When I pulled up and he made that statement, I, I could have not said anything, right? But I did. That was not the voice of God telling me to say a snarky, sarcastic comment. That wasn't. Do you know why I know that wasn't the voice of God? Because that's not the heart of God. That's not God's heart. Do you think God was glorified in that moment? No. Is it a funny story? Yes. Was that God's heart? No, not at all. I was wrong. I set a bad example for my girls. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said anything. But I did. Why? Because it was my flesh. Was that the heart of God? Absolutely not. See, I didn't have to pray about it. I knew it wasn't. God, help me out. Is this your voice? No, it's not. Because it's not his heart. When, when you get betrayed, when somebody trashes you at work, when somebody says something or does something, we want to defend ourselves. We want to retaliate. We want to jump on social media, don't we? We're going to let them have it. Why? Because I've been wronged. You got to stop yourself. That's not the heart of God. So that's not the voice of God. That's your voice that you're hearing. That's not God's voice. Driving through traffic, somebody tells you you're number one. You want to tell them they're number one, right? Do you, do you know why that's wrong? That's why that's not the voice of God, because it's not the heart of God. Every time. So this is the thing. Sometimes we wanna hear the voice of God, but if we know the heart of God, we don't need to hear the voice of God about every situation in our life. My staff, I've got an incredible team. I'm so grateful for the people I serve with here at this church. Um, and when I first came a few years ago, every decision that was made, they would come to me and go, hey, what do you think about or hey, we're gonna do this, what, what do we need to do? How would you like us to? They would ask me about everything. And now they don't do that. You know why? Because they know my heart. Now they, they have a decision to make and they go, well, Mel would probably want us to do this, let's just do that. And I'm, I'm good with that, I celebrate that. Because they're learning my heart, they're learning what my desires are, they're learning what my, my nature is, so they, they understand which direction they should go and what decisions they should make. And in the same way, when we know the heart of God, we don't have to seek the voice of God on everything in our lives. Because we can discern and go, okay, you know what, what would God want here? Would, would, have, would God have me make a snarky comment? No, probably not, okay, I need to refrain from that then, right? Would God have me respond in a negative way to my wife? No, probably not. So you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask God to speak to you because God's already spoken to you in the scripture. So ask yourself, what is the heart of God? God's voice always reflects God's heart. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. 
How do we learn the voice of God? We learn the voice of God by spending time with him. And it sounds churchy to say, we pray, we read scripture, we, we get plugged into the church. Those are all ways we learn to hear and discern the voice of God in our lives. I wanna encourage you, if you're struggling in that, get into scripture, begin to read. Um, there's an app on our website, there's a link to it called YouVersion, it's a Bible app. It's got reading plans for every day of the week. It's got uh, plans for one week long if you just wanna read for a week. It's got little plans, big plans, prayer plans, everything you can think of that will help you along your path. There are things you can do and tools you can apply, so take advantage of those kind of things. Begin to hear the voice of God so you can begin to practice that over and over and over and get accustomed to the voice of God. John chapter 10, verse six says this, uh, listen to this. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus did this a lot. He would use parables, but then he would also use uh, word pictures, figures of speech. And so many times he would try to explain to them what was going on and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand. And so they just kind of went, oh, we don't get it. And so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now there are two things, real quickly, that we see from this passage of scripture. The first thing we see is that God has prepared a place for his sheep. See, that sheepfold was a place of safety it was a, safe, a place of protection for those sheep. They didn't have to worry about robbers and thieves. They also didn't have to worry about the wild animals because that was a major concern at this time. They couldn't stay out in the fields overnight because the wild animals would come and find them. And so they had to bring them back into town or find a cave and find that protection, find that sheepfold. And that sheepfold offered protection. It offered a covering. It offered a shield. And that's what God provides for us as his sheep, as his followers. He offers us protection. He offers us a covering. He offers us a, a, a shield that will guard us. Now, some commentators, some theologians believe this is talking about heaven, and it could be, but we've talked about John 10, 10 before, where it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And the implication here is not just talking about heaven someday, but it's talking about the here and now. It's talking about today we can experience abundant life. Today you can be part of God's safety and part of his protection, part of his covering. That it's not just someday when we get to heaven, but we can experience a covering today. That there are people sitting in this room that, that you feel like your life is out of control. You feel like your life is dangerous. You feel like you're not sure what's gonna come your way, what's gonna happen. You're not sure what's around the corner and, and you feel nervous and anxious about what the future holds. But I'm telling you today, we serve a God who's prepared a place of safety and protection for us. We serve a God who will cover us and shield us from the wild things of this world. Now, when we, when we look at this specific situation, we see that there were times that sheep would get injured. And this isn't a promise that safety in God means that we're never gonna have problems. And that's one of the unfortunate things is sometimes people think when we get saved and we start coming to church, our lives are gonna be perfect, but that's not the case. In fact, scripture promises us that we're gonna experience suffering in this world. Isn't that a great promise? Like, where do I sign up for more suffering, right? 
But that's what scripture promises us, that as followers of Christ, we're gonna experience suffering. So when we, when we say yes to God and we wanna be part of this protection and this covering and this shield, we go, well, wait a second, that means my life should be perfect. No, it doesn't. See, at the end of the day, the shepherd would bring the sheep in and he would march them into the sheepfold one by one. And he would take his shepherd's staff, this stick, and he would block the door so that the next sheep couldn't come in. And while that sheep was waiting, he would inspect the sheep. He would look at it. He would look for marks or signs of injury or damage. He would look to see if maybe it had been attacked and he hadn't noticed. And he would look for signs that this, this animal had gone through trauma. And if it had, he would pull it aside and he would treat it and he would minister to it. He would give it health. He would help it get better before he put it back in and sent it back out. This is a great picture of what God does in our lives. Some of us are gonna go through really difficult seasons. Some of us are gonna go through challenges. Some of us are gonna go through times when we're injured, when we're hurt, when we feel lost, we feel hopeless. What our heavenly father does is he will stop us and he's gonna inspect us and he's gonna check us all over really well. He's gonna get in close and see and look. If there's a hurt or if there's a pain or if there's a wound, he's gonna bring healing to it. He's, he's gonna minister to it. He's not gonna send us back out that way. So there might be times that we're injured. There might be times we're disappointed. There might be times we're hurt. But God's protection, his provision, his covering is still there. Now, another thing we see here is Jesus says, I am the sheep door, right? It's reminiscent of what he says um, down the line. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but chronologically, he actually says this later in John chapter 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's, it's the same idea. Jesus is saying, there's one sheep door and that's it. There's one way to be part of this fold and that's it. There's no other way. If you want to experience that protection and that provision and that covering and that shelter, there's one way to do it and it's through Jesus. There's no other way, period. So when we see these things, it makes it very clear. And I've said before that when we understand who Jesus is, we understand who we are. So when Jesus says, I am the sheep door, it has implications for us. The implication for us is that we are safe. See, some of you feel so insecure in your life, feel insecure in your finances and your relationships and your future. It all feels like it's out of control, it's wild. You feel like you're in danger, but I will tell you today. Silent, go ahead. I'll tell you today that you don't have to feel insecure. You don't have to feel like you're at the mercies of the wild. You're safe, safe in the arms of our Heavenly Father. He's provided a place for you if you'll just take advantage of it, if you'll hear his voice and respond. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so grateful that you love us and that you care for us. Lord, scripture tells us that you, you are the good shepherd. So God, I pray today we would hear your voice and we would respond to your voice. God, if there are people here who don't know you and aren't walking with you, God, soften their hearts. Let them respond to you, to your Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that you be glorified here in these next few moments we have together. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna ask today, maybe you are here and maybe I'm speaking right to you. Maybe you feel like what I described is your situation exactly. Maybe you feel like your life is out of control. Maybe you feel like 
you're dealing with all that insecurity, relational, financial, spiritual, whatever it is, you just feel like your life is unsafe and not covered. But today you say, I wanna know that. I wanna be in relationship with Christ. I know that there's one way, and that's through Jesus, and I wanna choose that today. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna pray with you where you are, right at your seat. I wanna pray with you right there. So I'm not gonna make you come forward, but I do wanna pray with you where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I wanna start that journey. I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you say, I wanna restart a relationship with Jesus. I was part of a church a long time ago, or I feel like I knew Christ a long time ago, but man, I, I haven't been practicing that. So today you say, I wanna know Jesus. I wanna make him Lord of my life. I wanna follow God. I want that protection and that provision, that covering that comes from being a part of that herd. I want, I want, to, I want that today. If that's you, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it so I can pray with you wherever you are? Thanks, in the back, on my right. You can put your hand down, sir. Praise God. Thank you, ma'am, down here in the front. Thank you over by the sound booth. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Thank you, up in the balcony, in the very back, I see you. Praise Jesus. Just a few more seconds, anyone else? Yeah, up in the balcony, on my left, thank you. It's awesome. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my left. All right, this is what I'd like to do. I wanna say a really simple prayer and I want everybody in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this prayer after me. Scripture tells us if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, that that is, that is all it takes. And we are new, and that's the beginning of a journey. So I just wanna pray a prayer with you. I don't want you to repeat this prayer after me, whether you raised your hand or not, say this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. I give you my life today, and I'm asking you to use it for your glory. Take my strengths and my weaknesses, my victories and my failures, and use it however you want. Thank you that you are the shepherd and I am the sheep. I choose you. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. I love you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good. God is good. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, um, I want you to know that that is the beginning of a relationship with Christ, that Scripture tells us the old is gone and the new has come. Now this is the thing. This is the beginning of this journey. It's the beginning of a relationship. Um, I married my wife on the day we got married, September 25th, 1999, we began this journey. And every day we grow in our relationship. We know each other more. We love each other more. We, we just, in, intimacy grows. All those things happen. It's the same thing with our relationship with Christ. It's about a process and growing in your faith and growing in your knowledge of him and allowing him to know you more as well. And we wanna help you with that. So that what we can do is get you pointed in the right direction. And there's a card that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. Take just a moment, fill out the side that says salvation or rededication. Let us know about the decision you made today. We wanna help you take that journey, take the next step. There's a, once you fill this out, when we finish up, you can drop this card in the offering boxes. There's a couple in the back of the room here, one in the back of the uh, balcony up there. 
drop it in there, and we're gonna help you on your, with your next step. We're gonna help you on this journey. Now, a couple things you can do. Sign up for our uh, starting point group. It meets every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pastor Dick Motzing leads that group. It is specifically for people who are newer to their faith or trying to grow in their faith. They're trying to figure out, man, how do I pray? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What, the prayer I prayed on Sunday, I don't, I don't feel saved now. What does that mean? We walk through that with you. We help you understand what scripture says and how to take the next step. So Pastor Dick leads that every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. You can sign up at the Info Center or you can sign up on our website at summitogether.com. And then finally, you can sign up for baptisms. Baptisms are really important to, to declare publicly what's going on in our heart because you are a new creation in your heart today. But what we do with baptisms is we declare to the world what God has done in our hearts. We would love for you to sign up for that. At this time, the worship team's gonna lead us in one more song. While they're doing that, our prayer team's available on either side of this stage to pray with you. If you need prayer for any reason, as soon as they begin to sing, step out from your seats, find one of our prayer team members and let them pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. And then at the end of that, Steph is gonna come and dismiss us. So guys, I want you to know, I'm so glad you're here. I tell you this every week, but I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're gonna worship together, and then we'll be dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.